Hey folks, how you doing? You're listening to Blamo. We all okay? My name is Jeremy Kirkland, by the way, if you're new here, and uh, I get the pleasure of hosting this pod. So, are we okay? Are we surviving? Look, it's a, it's a wild world right now. We got hurricanes in California. We got sweltering heat all over the place. Life is, life is weird. I just had a birthday this week. I'm getting older, turned 38, and uh, I swear to God, I'm a, I'm, a walking, I'm a walking panic button these days. I got two kids, and like every other kid, they, they get sick a lot. And they finally got me sick. But usually I'm super tough. You know, I take my vitamins, I hit the gym, you know, but, but I got busted and I'm sick. And, you know, it was, it was like this slow, gradual thing. And then I was like, oh, you know, I got COVID because everyone's getting COVID again, right? And so I was just like, man, what's going on? And all of a sudden I got this pain like in my head, like behind my eye. And I was like, oh, maybe it's a sinus thing. But then it hurt when I coughed. You know, like it, it, my head hurt when I coughed and, you know, and I had had this for like over a week. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on the Google, I'm, I'm looking things up and next thing you know, it said, you know, possible that I had a brain tumor. So here I am, you know, on the eve of my 38th birthday and I'm Googling, freaking out, thinking I have a brain tumor and I'm like, oh man, no, I guess is it. Like, I'm, I'm going to die. Like, I don't know what's going on. And like, this is, this is the internet. And this is kind of why, you know, it's also me. <laughs> but like, this is, this is the internet and I got I to gotta chill out. I don't know what I'm doing. I got to stop Googling random things and maybe just talk to a doctor and just go for a walk, do some, touch some grass. I do, by the way. I'm, I'm touching grass all the time. I'm, I'm always out there. I'm hitting the pavement. I'm running. Running the grass too, if, if you want, if you want the grass reference. But it's it's just, I don't know. And so there's a person who always can explain these things to me and just explain the craziness of the internet. By the way, you like this transition? I'm pretty proud of it. And um, her name is Taylor Lorenz. She's a columnist at the Washington Post, uh, covering technology and online culture. She was previously at the New York Times, but she's basically like you know. People call her like the the queen of the of the internet or the queen of social media. I think she's the queen of memes and and also explaining that to everyone. But she she knows it all. She knows all about the internet, and uh, she's got a book coming out. Big surprise, right? But Taylor Lorenz, I'm a huge fan of her, and uh, she got to come on the pod this week. So it was <laughs> it was it was a great it was a great pod. Uh, we discussed her love of horror movies, menswear, believe it or not humor and the evolution of the internet and social media we also discuss her new book extremely online the untold story of fame influence and power on the internet it's an amazing book so um here we go here's my conversation with taylor Renz. let's do it taylor thanks for thanks for hanging because you're you're quite the busy individual i think we've been trying to do this for like I almost a year <laughs> i know it's like my schedule, it's, you know what sucks about being a reporter? Like, it's really fun, and you actually do end up having a lot of, like, downtime a lot of times that you can, like, do things. But it's like, you're completely 100% at the mercy of, like, your boss and your and, and the news, basically. So, like, I had all this stuff planned yesterday. I had this big interview. I had all this stuff. And then I had to write a piece on this breaking Supreme Court decision and literally cancel all of it in one day. I canceled two podcasts yesterday, and I was like, ugh. It's always like that, so I know, but I'm glad it worked today. What what is what is the a day in the life of Taylor Lorenz? Like, what what, what do you do to unwind? Because if I feel like you're always wired, <laughs> I know I take a lot of edibles at night. I guess, 
That's my main uh, way to unwind. I watch horror movies too. I'm like a huge um, horror movie fan and I watch like three or four horror movies a week. So have you seen The Changeling with George C. Scott? No. Is it good? Oh, see that for me, that is like the quintessential horror movie. Yes. It's a phenomenal movie. Write it down. Okay. I'm literally writing it down because it's really rare that I haven't seen one. Wait, The Changeling. It's Um, not The Changeling with Angelina Jolie. This is, (laughs) I think it's 1976. Um, oh yeah, I see. Wait, nineteen eighty? Yeah, nineteen eighty. It's it's pretty gnarly. It it is a it is a horror movie that doesn't really have gore. Oh, okay. All right, I'm literally watching this tonight. Yeah, you're gonna get in your head about noises and children. Ooh, okay. This sounds good. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's funny that you're into you're into like horror movies in general like are there i feel like this is like there's been like this resurgence of people that are all obsessed with horror and maybe it's because of shutter or whatever that came out but yeah. like yeah what 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 was what was your, what was the media diet like growing up for you um oh god well growing up i i was i mean i loved horror movies i loved horror movies since I was little and I would watch them with my dad. Um, but aside from that, I, you know, I grew up in the, as a classic millennial, like being young in the two thousands, um, I read a lot of, and and sort of like the late nineties, I read a lot of women's magazines. Like that was like peak women's magazine when it was like glamour L no teen Vogue. Um, did you read teen beat? Oh my God. Yes, of course. They, oh my, I had like a teen beat poster of, I mean, it was a tiger beat. Jonathan oh, Tiger Taylor. Beat. You're right. Ti- I think Tiger what... Beat. Yeah. Yeah. JTT. Yes. Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Oh my God. I had a poster of him in my room. I was obsessed with him. Yeah. That, that was the, that was the era. I think it's interesting. A lot of those folks now, I keep wondering when is the Jonathan Taylor Thomas podcast going to come out? Cause you know, the, the Boy Meets yeah. World crew, they all make their own show now. I, I knew that because one of them, um, Topanga went on Nick Vile's podcast, um, from The Bachelor and she was actually really funny on it. And she mentioned she had her own podcast and I was like, wait, I need to listen. <laughs> yeah. We're at like saturation mode with podcasts. Cause I feel like if you, if you were a star in the eighties, nineties, early aughts, now you're kind of like, you might be twiddling your thumbs a bit and there's just someone who knocks on your door. Who's like, you want to do a rewatch of, of, you know, Justine for the Disney channel. (laughs) I know. I want the Dawson's Creek, uh, rewatch podcast because I rewatched Dawson's Creek in the early days of the pandemic and I that show was so crazy. Uh, I know that there's two holdouts that are keeping that from going, but that has been something that has been tossed around at some management agencies that friends of mine work at. Oh my God. Make it happen. The people the people that you think aren't into it are the exact ones you think of. James Vanderbeek. No, do He's into it. He's on I social mean, you, media all the time. Yeah. I follow him on TikTok. Okay, and he, he loves to make videos of like the fact that he was a 90s person. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. So so oh. you grew up watching that stuff. You get into horror. What's the first horror movie? Oh, God, I don't remember my first horror movie because I've been watching them since I was little. But um, I mean, I loved X-Files, too. That was also like I was huge on that. I watched it every every Sunday night with my dad. Oh, the X-Files was so good. Did you watch Tales from the Crypt? Of course. Yes. And um. Are you afraid of the dark on Nick? You mean Snick? Snick, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is, well, I've, I don't think we're ever going to get TV like that again. Like it's, it was so specifically programmed because you had Roundhouse on Snick, you had Keenan and Kel, you had um, with the Amanda Bynes stuff of 
uh, Ask Ashley. There's there's like a very specific level of entertainment that was done really, really, really well. And I feel like now for that age group, they're just like people watching stuff on YouTube or it's some sort of animated thing. 100%. But there's not like adult programmed stuff for those kids. Yeah, it's not. I mean... Also, it was just like we had such a monoculture back then and like everyone would watch the same same shows and then you would go to school and like talk about it. And yeah. I don't know. Um, the first year that Dawson's Creek or I don't know if it was the first year, but at some point early on in Dawson's Creek, I was still technically not allowed to watch it because it was too mature. Oh, yeah, because they they talked about sexual things. Yeah. And I remember <laughs> like going to school. I was probably in like middle school, but I just I remember like lying about seeing it because everyone would be talking about it. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, totally that moment. And I like, you know, had not seen it. And there was no like internet to catch up on it or even find out what happened on like recaps yet. No, you're exactly right. Did you, did you um, sneak into R-rated movies at that age then? No, I didn't really. I mean, I, my dad would let me watch horror movies. So that was like the most, like there were R-rated horror movies that I saw very young. Okay. But no, I don't even remember. I remember the, like, seeing PG-13 movies when when I was with my younger siblings and being like, ooh, we get to go to a (laughs) PG-13 when I was like 10. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's when I was younger, um, my friends and I told our parents we were going to go see Seven Years in Tibet, but we secretly went and saw I Know What You Did Last Summer. Oh. Yeah, because this is like the Wes Craven era where anything he touches is gold. I think it's after Scream, but it was, so we went and snuck into that. And it was, I think, like one of the highest highs I've ever been on. And my parents were like, oh, you guys, Brad Pitt in Seven Years in Tibet? I guess that's cool. Did you did you like it? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was very thought-provoking. And I'm, you know, like 13 years old trying to like fool my folks in the fact that you know, I was just watching a dude chase people with a meat hook and an ice pick. <laughs> yeah. There's something about that, that like an innocence that I feel that everyone my age now is like chasing. Like we're all obsessed with nostalgia. Yeah. Well, because we're living in a hellscape right now, to be honest. Okay. I mean, on. like, I feel like things are just bad right now. And like, we're all bombarded with like, I mean, people are always nostalgic for their childhood, but I do think that like that time in culture, even though it was really fucked up in a lot of ways, like there was this like mass culture that we'll just, we'll never have again because of the internet. Like everything is so fragmented now and everything is so negative. Like the internet is so negative and you're so bombarded with news that I just think people want a time where they were kind of like a little bit more living in ignorance maybe. And like, um, and also just like pop culture was so good back then. I'm biased. Why do you think it's not as good now? Because I, I think you're exactly right. I think it's just like, I, I think it's like mass culture. I don't think we have like the same mass culture because the internet is allowed sort of like so many people to go down different niches and like appeal to different groups, which I think is actually like a very good thing because it's widened the industry and like so much of that culture that we are nostalgic for was like really exploitative to like the people involved, like the I don't know, the Backstreet Boys or whatever, like, (laughs) you know, they were taken advantage of by their manager, like all the Disney Channel stars that have spoken out. But, um, but I don't know, it was so like, it, it was like, it was just so like wholesome and, and fun. And I guess like, that was kind of peak TV, like peak cable TV, like we're talking Mm -hmm. about like Nickelodeon and like, I don't know, it just all those kids channels. And like, I mean, I got really into reality TV and I think like peak reality TV was also like in the 2000s. Yeah. Um, With real world, Road Rules was a great show too. 
Uh huh. But that was like pre social media before you could just see everything about everyone and like a show, what, you know, those shows just don't hit the same way anymore. No, they, they really don't. I think it's interesting too. I've, you know, I have a few friends that work in like Hollywood and like the, the TV entertainment industry. And when they talk about what makes a show successful in terms of the numbers, they don't really judge things the way that they did in the past in the terms of like, you know, because it used to be like, oh, the Nielsen reviews, right? Yeah. Or Nielsen's. And now it's like, well, OK, we're factoring in what people are talking about. Because like I don't know if you do you read Bob Lefsitz's email? I w- I he interviewed me for his uh, newsletter. Yeah, yeah. He his stuff that he wrote about Succession on the fact that everyone was obsessed and talking about it at the end. However, the people that watched it, the the season finale or series finale, it was nowhere near the numbers of say things like Sopranos mm-hmm. or even Game of Thrones. But the optics of it were huge, and it's because they're they're measuring all that stuff based on memes and people talking about on social media and, you know, uh, different news outlets and blogs and all that other stuff versus viewership, right? Like, mm-hmm. so it's like people are engaging and interacting with art and having hot takes on it, but not even actually experiencing it. Yeah, I know. I feel like that and the idol because I keep giving hot takes and posting idol memes and I still haven't seen it. Yeah, I, I don't think I, okay, I started watching the idol and I felt old. And then I felt that I was, you know, endorsing something that I thought was inappropriate. And I didn't know how to respond to it. I, think I turned just, it off. Yeah, I also, I like, yeah, I tried to watch like two seconds of it. And I was like, the show sucks. And I just- <laughs> well, see, that's a better take than me. I had this like existential crisis where I'm like, am I endorsing some sort of abusive behavior? I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm just like, it's like that I finally get canceled. And it's because that I watched the idol. And I said it was good. <laughs> that's a really hilarious thing. I love the idea of getting canceled for defending the idol. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like, oh no, man, that was a bad show. You you talked about how it was art. You know, like someone's going to say the hill you want to die on. I'm sure like some people are saying, I mean, The weekend is saying it. He's It's his whole like self-delusion project. Oh, I just yeah. think it's so funny. It's only five episodes. It's like, get out of here. What is that? <laughs> well, like, and they shortened it too. Did you see that? I know, I saw that. It was literally such a bad show. It's just objectively bad. It's like, I mean, yes, it's exploitative in all those ways, but it's also just like so stupid. It's just like not good. Yeah. And I think the fact that also that like HBO PR had to send out a tweet saying that like, hey, by the way, it's not we haven't decided whether or not renewing it yet. We're still excited for you all to see. Like it literally looked like a voice note that was dictated. (laughs) I know. But again, I have not seen all of it. So like I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't pass judgment, but I saw enough to know that I thought it sucked. I didn't want to watch it. Right. Like so I mean, to zoom back, like it's weird how they look at whether or not something is successful. And even, you know, like friends of mine, they'll be like, oh, well, I'm not doing a, a large press tour on, I don't know, Colbert or whatever. And this is separate from the fact that there's a writer strike and it's not even happening. But they're like, oh, I just go on podcasts now because the the viewership and the numbers are way higher than if I did like one night on Corden. Yeah. Yeah. I think those things are only good for like boomer legitimacy, basically. Like, I feel like, um, I feel like in media, there's this like level of like sort of boomer executives that like <laughs> make decisions and like they look at things like that. Like when I was getting my book deal, they wanted okay. to know like, have you been on the Today Show or whatever? Which normally I'm like, who gives a shit about that? Like who's even <laughs> watching that? Like people in like being spoon fed oatmeal in retirement homes or something. This is true. Um, but so, but it's so funny because that's like what other gatekeepers care about. Like other like ancient gatekeepers like also care about these like 
irrelevant forms of media, but you have to like kind of play the game just to like make them think you have enough clout to give you an opportunity. It's so weird. Uh, I no, I think that that is something you're scratching at that. Like, I'm wondering when is the turning point for that? I think we're like, like we're, almost there. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's the thing I'm like, well, some of these folks, like they're in their seventies and they're still, you know, and they're basically talking about, oh, I was super good friends with Mel Brooks or something. Um, which Mel Brooks is a God, but at the same time, like having, using that as the barometer, um, and how they measure legitimacy is, I keep wondering like when that's going to change. Yeah. I think we're close to it. I mean, I think like ultimately it's not going to change until like people from that generation pass away. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm not wishing ill will upon anyone, but I think there's, there's a lot of creative things that are being withheld based on a false sense of measurement of success. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, it's funny because with the, uh, I was reading about you know, this kind of like history of media. And I don't know, are you familiar with, or were you ever familiar with the Sid Caesar show? No. Um, Okay. So back in the day, there was this, the Sid Caesar show and it was on in the fifties. So there was like five seasons of it. The big thing about Sid Caesar, he was this American comic actor. Like he was a huge, huge deal. And they, it was basically on almost every night. It was on NBC and Mel Brooks wrote for it that he kind of talks about that's where he got his start. But it was a live 90-minute variety show. So this is like before, you know, SNL, all of this stuff. And so like Sid Caesar was like this god in LA. And the amount of people that actually watched, you know, the uh like the like the amount of people that watched it every night. It was 60 million people every night that were watching this show. Wow. Um yeah. And so it was, it was called like your show of shows, but it was this huge, huge show, 60 million people. And it's like, do you think that there's any sort of television or media experience that the whole world or the, at least in the whole United States connects to anymore? Or do, are we all too fragmented? Um, I think we're all pretty fragmented. I feel like people connect over big events now, like the submarine, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yes, I know we can <laughs> we can laugh at some things. Um, sure, obviously it was a very tragic death, but it's also just like I, I you yes. cannot pay me to get into that thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know I think we connect on like moments and things like that, and and maybe like different people like view those moments through their different sort of like forms of media. But I don't think we have like it's just so rare to have like a big show or a big movie that like everyone can really connect over. I mean, it's like, maybe there's, there's things out there, but, but they'll never reach the heights that they did. Like they'll just never, we have so many more different ways of consuming content and so much, so much more content now that I just don't think anything's going to like reach those huge numbers that we used to see. Yeah. I mean, a part of me mourns for that, but I don't want to be some sort of person who's like, oh, things were better the way they were. Wait, wait, wait a second. I got to get my bids in on the Bezel app, but more on that in, in a minute. I get all sorts of emails and questions from you all, which I love to read and respond. And one thing I constantly get and even read in the Blamo Slack is what watch should I buy and where should I get it? It's a wild world out there with all sorts of websites and shops, but I go to Bezel. Bezel is the trusted marketplace for buying and selling your next luxury watch with expert in-house authentication on every purchase. First off, folks, it's getbezel.com. That's getbezel.com. But I use and recommend Bezel because it's the best of both worlds. You can go to the site and browse a marketplace of luxury watches, over 16,000 of them, by the way, which is a lot. 
and I know that Bezel is going to authenticate your purchase. Or you can create an account and get connected with your own private client advisor called the concierge. Because look, making a watch purchase can be confusing, especially when you don't know all the reference numbers. When was this made? Did they use ceramic then? Is it a triple lop, dingle top? You know, what the heck? I don't even know. But they do at Bezel, and they're here to help. Concierge, baby. Look, if looking for your watch to mark a special occasion, or maybe you're just doing research, right? They even have their own journal where you can learn all the ins and outs about Bezel and the brands and all the stuff that's happening right now. But back to my bids. Yes, Bezel now has auctions, and not just any auctions. They got Rolex, they got Cartier, they got Audemars Piguet, all the big dogs, and more. So you can discover, bid, and know the Bezel team has got your back with verified in-house authentication. So visit getbezel.com on your smartphone or computer. Bezel, the trusted marketplace for buying or selling your next luxury watch. I yeah. mean, I, I literally late at night, similar to what you were talking about, when I'm trying to unwind and I and like I had a shitty day or some dumb thing happened, I end up accidentally spending an hour on TikTok before bed watching things that are getting repaired. For some reason, the algorithm only feeds me things of like, here's how you fix a hole in the wall. Or like, I built a deck with my wife. Or like, I, you know, this is how I fix a car. And I'm like watching things getting repaired. And in a weird way, like trying to repair my mind. And I don't... I, but I keep wanting to like rewatch, I don't know, all that and snick. Oh my God, all that. I know. Me too. It would be fun to rewatch. I I don't miss those times. Like I would never go back. I'm so glad we live in today's reality versus the 90s. But it, it like I miss that culture. I miss those shows. Right? But okay, so let's unpack that. Because you're like, you're glad that we live in the era that we're in now. Well, why is that? But we love and idolize 30 years ago. I, I mean, I love and idolize like some of the shows from back then, but not like the culture. Like the culture was so bad. I mean, especially in the, in the aughts, like the way and I mean, again, I grew up reading like women's magazines, which were just okay. like so evil, like the most yeah. evil shit. Ever. Here's how to fix your hips or oh some sort of. And just like. <laughs> Just like glorifying anorexia and like serious eating disorders. And like, it was just, it was, and, and also just like the portrayal of, of women and what women were told was possible to achieve. Like it was all about getting a husband. And like, there was also like, everyone was straight, you know, like there was no oh, room yeah, in those magazines right. for like anything but. And I just think like, yeah, I would never, I was so depressed growing up too. I'm like, I don't want to like go back to that world um where we couldn't also we were so bound by our like physical realities um and now it's just so much easier to like find people on the internet that you can connect with are you still depressed now i mean i feel like we're all depressed a little bit <laughs> i don't know but so <laughs> not here's like something... when i was growing up i was like totally you know i was like one of those like super depressed teenagers wait what def- what was the music you were listening to then oh god well i actually loved a lot of pop music but i did have like an emo phase um, with like the side banks and like the fallout boy or whatever. <laughs> nice. It's all right. You can get specific. What, what was, what was on the iPod or the CD wallet? The shuffle, the iPod shuffle. Remember those? That's what yeah, I had. That's still the greatest iPod ever. God, you couldn't see what song was on next. You just had to press the next button. Right. There was and no so screen. you could only put on bangers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm so bad at remembering like specific songs. I mean, it was pop music. I was a big pop. Yeah. So when did you first get online? What was your first experience of social media to talk about the book? Yeah. um, Well, so my book starts in the blogging world of like the early 2000s. Um, 
And I also started as a blogger, but I didn't start until the later 2000s because um, I had graduated and it was, I graduated into the recession, like a lot of mm-hmm. millennials. Um, and I got really into Tumblr. I mean, I had Facebook in college. Like I obviously, like I friended everyone in my dorm and, you know, I had, like I had Facebook, but Facebook was still very much for like your IRL friends and like friends at school or friends from high school. Oh yeah. And so it wasn't really until I got on Tumblr that I like really got on like social media, social media, where like I was connecting a lot with people that I didn't. Yeah. I mean, Tumblr is where I, you know, started my business and where I met some of my best friends. I mean, me and Lauren Schlossman and a bunch of other folks that I still consider some of my best friends, you know, I met on Tumblr, uh, which is weird because I, I hated my in-person high school experience. It was it was a horrendous, one of the worst experiences of my entire life. And I did not feel that I had a connection or people that knew me until I got on like Tumblr and MySpace. And this is me living in New York in like 2005, you know, really trying to connect. And it was the greatest, it's still some of the greatest times of my life because I felt seen and heard. I miss those eras so much. So interesting how we like perceive ourselves. I mean, I feel like there's also just like a naivete and a confidence that all young people have kind of, or a lot of young people have, like, because you're just so ignorant about the world when you're young uh, or certain parts of the world. You just haven't experienced life yet, you know? So like, yeah, you're just a little bit delusional, but I, I like, I don't know. I think I don't, I like look back like way more fondly. Um, but I wasn't, I mean, I was on different corners of Tumblr, but I just really liked like how small the internet felt. And, um, I don't know. It was just like, I, I had a really shitty temp job and I was so miserable and depressed. And then when I found Tumblr, I was like, Oh my God, these people are really cool and interesting and like funny and creative. And, um, I don't know. I really liked that. Yeah. When you found Tumblr, had you had any prior experience of like message board culture? I'm kind of air air quoting that. No, I didn't. I mean, I had other blogs. Um, Okay. Like I was into blogging a little bit and I had, I had a couple like blogs on like Blogspot and stuff. Uh Um, But I hadn't, no, I hadn't been on the message boards or anything. I wasn't really that online. I was very into art and um, I thought I was going to be an artist and I went to art school for a minute and I like fine art, like painting and sculptures and stuff. And so oh, yeah? that's kind of what I was doing most of my time. Yeah, I was like in my room doing- Wait, who are your painters? Who are you looking up to that you're like, I'm going to be like this person? No, no one. I, I mean, I was just doing my own. I wasn't, I mean, I liked a lot of like modern art, but I think I was just like looking for an outlet and I would, I got really into a lot of things. I like taught myself jewelry making and crocheting. And I I would like, I was just like a skill. I was accumulating. I have like severe ADHD, which now I like recognize. I mean, at the time people didn't really understand things like that, but um, yeah. Oh my God. I've like learned every skill on the planet and I worked, I started working when I was 11 years old. So I worked. Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean when you were 11? I started, um, well, I was a a babysitter and a a mother's helper. And then I was a candy striper at the local hospital. Um, and then when I turned 13, I, I got a job, um, at the, at the bagel shop downtown. These are all people service oriented jobs that require you to interact with people who may not agree with you. Yeah. Well, I love those. I love any job that exposes me to a lot of people. I worked retail, um, and food service for a long time. I've done every job. I made a list of how many jobs I've had and I've had like over 40 something jobs. And that I did that years ago too. So I probably have more than that. But like I, I worked a lot. I always had at least like one or two jobs, usually two jobs in the summer and one job during the year. And then I would always, I had a lot of, I would work, um, we have this main street kind of in the town I grew up on. And I was a rapper during Christmas. I would rap, you know, I work at the stores and like wrap. Wrapping paper. People. Yeah. To be clear. Yeah, yeah. Wrapping. What 
that that gives you did you already have the empathy or did you get the empathy from the jobs oh i don't know i've always like kind of i mean i needed money and i don't know i just like i i really like talking to people and meeting people i've always wanted to like get out of whatever environment i'm in like i i like like going into kind of like niche little cultures and like understanding things. I'm from New York City originally, where there's a lot of different cultures and neighborhoods. And I think it just rubbed off on me. That's really interesting. To, to jump back on the on the online stuff. So you kind of first get into online stuff through Tumblr and blogs. And in your book, you know, I mean, and this is just from the stuff that I've read of you sharing. So please correct me on any of these things if I'm getting it wrong to, to be transparent here. But what do you think that this shifted in terms of how people view each other? Do you think people got more empathetic through online or less empathetic? I think I think people got more empathetic like when the internet, like when we first sort of got on the internet, like in the 2000s, a mm-hmm. little bit maybe because you were sort of exposed to a wider swath of people and people were still very like optimistic about connection. Um, but I think social media, I mean, has made people far less empathetic, like to an insane degree. Um, yeah. I also, I don't know, I used to believe humans were like inherently good and now I don't believe that anymore. I think people are probably inherently bad, but like- Whoa, okay, good. hold on. What? what <laughs> where did that come from? The pandemic- and sort of seeing and and just everything like the older I get, the more I just I just can't understand people that don't care about other people like at all. Like I just can't. I'm like, how how do you like go through life like that? Like and, and we all have to be a little bit like, you know, we all have to ignore a certain level of like human suffering just to function. But mm-hmm. um, but I didn't realize like how little people would, you know, like they can't even inconvenience themselves a, a second to literally, you know, prevent someone's death. Like that's fucking crazy, you know, like, um, yeah. So, and, and yeah, I've just, I've changed my mind, but I, I think like, I think that's why it's really important to like, if you have kids, like raise them to be like thoughtful, caring people. Um, I think my parents are very much that way and raised me to be that way. And like, you know, I think it's important to like teach other people to care about each other because I think our whole like capitalist system sort of tries to make people, you know, not care about each other and, and sort of sells you this lie that like you're special. And like, if you just work hard enough, like you, you know, you won't have to deal with all that stuff. Like other people will be dying of poverty and neglect, but you will be fine. And that's not always true. You know, we're all like, I don't know. Have you gotten to the age where you parent your parents yet? Yeah. Oh my God. Sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Have you had to get them? I mean, because here's the thing, you are an unfortunate lightning rod to certain subcultures. And I do really sympathize for the amount of crap that you have to go through. And uh, for that, I'm very sorry. But have you had to help your parents or, or like maybe keep them from trying to defend you? Yeah, no. Well, they don't have the internet. They don't have social media. So they don't, I mean, my dad works in a very like offline um, industry of <laughs> like, you know, uh, manual labor uh, sort of type industry. So like it just, no one, the internet is not like something, they don't deal with social media. So they don't. But your, your dad's not, you don't have to keep your dad from calling into Fox News. That doesn't like, even know what's going on online. Like I think he just. Wow. Yeah, which is great. And and I mean, they're just living in the middle of the country. And How do you explain world. to them what you do? I will say like my parents have had to bear the brunt of a lot of um, like internet hate that I've gotten and, and, and other family members of mine too. And, and I, I've, I, you know, my family's actually been extremely understanding. I think my parents are proud of me and, um, 
you know, my mom is very smart. Like my mom is like, she consumes a lot of media and, and she watches the news and I think she's a very thoughtful person. And so like, you know, when they get, when they have to deal with this stuff, like they, they understand that I'm just doing my job and, you know, they love me. So they don't think I deserve it, of course, either. So they're, they've always been very, very generous. I do, I do want to touch on the topic of humor. Because I think you, you know, one of the things that's good and bad of Instagram is you can see what other people like and what other people sort of champion. And I think it's great. And one of the things that this is something my wife called out is she was like, you were one of the first people that she knew that followed this TikTok account called Fave TikToks 420, which was on on Instagram. (laughs) And I think it's one of the most, uh, the the editor of it, whomever, team, they, okay. Oh, okay. So, you know, one girl, I know her. Oh, okay. So the the stuff that she finds on TikTok, I think is some of the most hilarious stuff I've ever seen in my life. It's, it's, there's no better comedy writing than anything (laughs) than this stuff. And I think it's stuff that you, you have interacted with, you've shared quite a bit. And these are the things that in a weird way, give me hope for how weird and crazy the internet has gotten is there's, we still seem to love the funniest things ever. And it, it's just the the ridiculousness of humanity. Yeah. Um, it's so funny because the girl who runs that account is a filmmaker and worked on How To with John Wilson, if you ever saw that show. Uh, yeah, and of course. I think she's very good at like sort of these like funny moments of people's like humanity. Like, I mean, what she posts is like a lot of um, like cringe content and like these young people that are sort of like, I don't know, just being openly cringe on TikTok. And um, I just, yeah, she's so good at like curating that account. I love when people curate their accounts where you see, you end up seeing content elsewhere and you're like, oh my God, this is so like this page that I follow, you know? Um, yeah, she's so good. I, I mean, I love Instagram. It's, I would say Instagram's still one of my favorite social networks, although I have problems with their community guideline system, but um I, I I don't know. I'm I'm I like Instagram. I feel like it gets a bad rap and people are always like it's dying and it is, but I still I'm still on it. Yeah, I mean I, I I'll go on TikTok to have one way experiences, but I think Instagram is still a two way experience yeah. in terms for, for myself and my age. Yeah. You know, like I and I hate this, but like I will go on Instagram more just to respond to like messages and things like that that I'll receive. Mm-hmm. To where it's it's like almost an email thing for me of of people that I follow or you know engage with on there that will have conversations on that. But TikTok, I don't think I've ever used the DM features or. Oh, that's interesting. I actually DM more on TikTok than I do on Instagram. I kind of have given up on my Instagram messages. Um, well, it's because you're you're a juggernaut on Instagram. <laughs> with all well, I have respect. a lot of accounts too, so it's hard to keep up with like the messages on all of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the other thing too, and and like so you you embody this like level of humor that I think is really unique to any journalist. I don't know, maybe um, who else is w- would be like this that I think embodies a lot of their personality within their journalism? Um, Ronan Farrow. Oh, Ronan Farrow. Oh, yeah. Wait, is he funny? I don't follow him. Ronan Farrow is hilarious. Wait, no way. I need to follow him. I think Ronan Farrow is, I mean, he literally posted like a thirst trap picture of himself on his Instagram, inviting people to play Diablo 4 with him, soliciting user handles to play online, to play video games. Oh my God. Wait, I'm just looking at this. Wait, this is hilarious. Okay, I'm pro Ronan. I I mean, love it. <laughs> Good for him. He's also like an amazing journalist. Um, well, exactly. And I think 
think like you and Ronan, and I hope you take this in the the utmost praise. I think there's this level of journalism that like why a lot of people love your stuff and feel connected to you is they also feel like they're your friend, but they're learning from you. Yeah, and I think this is a weird thing when I think of other journalists. And I mean, I'm like, I was like a Connie Chung. I was obsessed with Connie Chung. Yeah, she was amazing. I mean, she was like an icon. Well, exactly. But I feel like I didn't know that Connie Chung liked horror movies or what sort of food she liked. Or so in a weird way, I didn't have these levels to connect with them. And thanks to the internet, I'm like, oh, Taylor Lorenz likes this video and she shared this thing. And so like, now I feel that the information that you share with me, I know you more. And I think this is this new thing that we have from the internet, which make people feel so close, maybe negatively and positively to the journalists that they interact with, which kind of, you know, you, you shared about this in, in the level of like these influencer style journalists now. Yeah. I guess I know people always love to ask me like, are you an influencer? Are you a journalist? But it's like, we're all online. I don't know. Like we all have public personalities now. Like that's just how reputation works on the internet. Um, And I started as an internet person. I never studied journalism in any way. Like, I mean, I took actually a continuing education class at um, in journalism once after college when I was thinking of getting into media and it was just like a night course where like all these was so weird and random. I can't even explain, but like, I never, you know, I was never, I never went to school for journalism or ever considered journalism or knew anything about journalists uh, before I got into journalism. So I think it's a different, I didn't. And then my first like five years in journalism, people were always like, remember the whole conversation in the early 2010s of like, oh, people, that's not a real journalist. They're a blogger or they're a digital journalist. Like that's how people used to talk. Yeah. And so it was, yeah, yeah. you belittled people. I mean, I would never call myself a journalist because I thought, oh, well, a journalist means you write for print and I, I'm, I'm a blogger. So I guess I'm not a real journalist, but like, I mean, in my head, I always considered blogging real journalism, but that was like the perception from the, the media, which is very funny. And now they're like, I don't know about these TikTokers talking about news. You know, it's like, no, you're exactly right. I mean, one of the things you posted recently about the, the sheen trip of these influencers who went out there who were just kind of I don't know, force fed. I mean, this one, that's something that like the watch and luxury industry has done for years. Like, I don't know how much you you are aware of like the watch press trips or even auto press trips for these journalists that people used to do back in the day. But like, what are the things that you think the new modern day influencer needs to embody in terms of journalistic ethics? Well, they don't need to embody any journalistic ethics, which is, I think, why they're so successful, because they can just spin nonsense. They don't follow any kind of ethical guidelines, um, which helps them get more views. Like if you're you're posting a more measured and balanced video or you're not feeding into stuff, like you're not going to get as many views. And I think that's what's really hard. I think the incentive structure of these social media platforms actually does not reward journalism. It rewards commentary and analysis. Um, and I think that makes it really hard where you don't have people that really know what they're talking about or have done any reporting doing a lot of that analysis or like posting the news that they've, that they actually covered. Um, so I think, yeah, I think we're in kind of like a, a broken information ecosystem, but I will say I really like the analysis that, that comes out of the internet. Like that's one thing I think that, um, the internet has done really well is sort of like democratized like opinion and commentary, which is why I think like it's so bizarre that these newspapers still have opinion pages because it's like we're we have too many opinions these days. Like we have we're drowning in opinions all day on the internet. Um I don't know that we need the newspapers to be like push pushing their own opinions. But um 
but yeah, it, it's bad for journalism for sure in a lot of ways. Like it's it's harder than ever to be a successful journalist because it's hard to monetize individually as a journalist. Yeah, especially where it's like, you know, historically, okay, like there's a journalist that I follow. I just air quoted that word, I guess. And they, you know, they're talking about these watches that they love. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that they, uh, and like, this is not anything that's like going to change someone's life per se. I mean, this is literally someone giving their opinion on a watch. And I found out that they used to work for one of these watch companies. And I was like, oh, like, are they getting paid to continue shilling for this brand or defending this person or whatever? And it made me like kind of annoyed that I was like, man, I still will kind of blindly trust someone who speaks with authority. Yeah, I think we all do. I think we all make that mistake. Um, and it's good to question people. It's, you know, but I think a lot of people, I mean, most Americans can't even distinguish between an opinion article and a news article. So I think the level of media literacy that we have in this country, just in general, is a disaster. Um, so, you know, you can't really blame people too much for not understanding like the nuances of conflicts of interest, you know. Do you think that humor and comedy is going to be the only thing that unites us? No, humor and comedy doesn't unite us. I think it de- like I mean, because people don't have the same sense of humor. I think it unites people, but I don't think it unites everyone because we all have different tastes. Yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe it's just the own little subcultures that I think in my head is where we're going to get. Oh, we'll all laugh at, I don't know, to zoom way back at Charlie Bit My Finger. (laughs) We all voted for different people, but we all think Charlie Bit My Finger is funny. But that would never happen now. Now, you don't think I think it would be like a milkshake duck or it would there would be discourse around filming your children and putting them on the Internet. You know, there's. Oh, my God. Shit. Damn it. You're ruining this. for me. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) I just think we have like so many like I was going saying like we have too many opinions now. Like, I just don't know that. I don't know. I got like canceled. Uh like two years ago or three years ago when um it was um it was this like ghost trend and I was it was this like really wholesome trend on TikTok where you dressed up as a ghost and you know you took pictures basically like uh, in sort of solitary environments like you would go into a field and take a picture of a ghost and I really liked the trend and I posted and of course people started quote tweeting me like you know say that you're normalizing KKK regalia which is just a Holy ghost lordy. and by the way like black creators pioneered you know there there were black creators that that pioneered the, this trend as they do many trends on TikToks. It was so brain poison. It was very Twitter discourse in 2020. But I was like, just let me enjoy these spooky things. Like I love spooky season. And also like this joke or like this notion of, of sheet ghosts looking like a KKK rope like that joke. That's like a very famous South Park skit. Like this is not a new thing that you guys have discovered, but like it's just like complete <laughs> stripping of context. And um, yeah, that just, I was like, I was like, you know what? Like I feel like the boomer in this situation because I'm like, let me enjoy the ghosts. And it's like, but uh, but then I've totally been the person on the other end in other discourses. Like, how dare you? You know, whatever, whatever. So I think we all like fluctuate, you know, how we want to view things. And sometimes we're having a bad, bad day and we just want to like, you know, consume something at face value, not think too deeply, have a laugh. And then other days we're fired up about something and we're like, fuck this video, you know? That's true. I think it's it's a little bit too easy to respond. One of the things I think is interesting is Spotify has, uh, podcasts used to get review bombed a bunch. Oh, I know all about so it. Like, I have a one star yeah. podcast for that okay. reason. <laughs> so with Spotify, you can't rate a podcast unless you've listened to it. Did you know that? Mm. No, I didn't know that, but that's great. 
Yeah, because I, you know, someone was like, you know, I was trying to review you, but it wouldn't let me. And I was like, well, it's because you didn't listen to it. Because I went and I tried to do the same thing yeah. on like, their show. And I was like, oh, shit. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, like, I, I do wonder if there can be some sort of standards of, you know, because yeah, then you're not going to get review bombs. You're not going to get, Well, I think know, those people just listen to it and review bomb you, but it will, well, there's hey, a barrier. Fine. There's a barrier. Exactly. And they're giving you listens. So that's fine. <laughs> get the hate listens. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm sure I've hate listened to people before in the past. I hate yeah. listening to podcasts all the time and it's so toxic. Really? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Just like, I don't know what it is. I, I, I'll just like put on, I think I just like to hear sort of like what people are saying. And sometimes yeah. you come across just like wild stuff and I'm just like, let me hear Let's let's hear what what's going on over here, you know. I know exactly what you're saying. There's quite a few shows that I it's almost like the way that I I don't think anyone's ever like quantified or, or or like said like what this is where there's there's shows, there's TV shows that you watch and you have your phone out. Yes. There's TV shows that you watch and you don't have your phone out and there's things that like require a different level of experience. And I think it's the same with podcasts. There are things that's like it's on, but I'm actually emailing a bunch of other people or I'm working. Yeah. And there's other things that's like Okay, I really want to focus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't I don't know what we can call that for. You know, I, oh, so I just finished season 2 of The Bear. Oh. And that is like a no phone show. Mm-hmm. Like you, you I I feel like I have to be focused and um and I'm like a grief junkie right now because of just like weird family stuff. So anything that is triggering about the complexities of family and I'm like, give it to me. Yeah. I haven't watched The Bear yet, but everyone's obsessed with it. Did you, did you see the first season or no, second season? No, I haven't season? watched it yet. Oh, you got to do I know. it. But it's also, it's a, no, it's a no phone show. You can't have it on and like be sending out tweets or yeah. whatever. Like it's, it requires a level of focus. You can watch it at the gym. I watched the first season at the gym, but it's kind of weird because there's heavy shit that's happening. I can't happening watch anything like, at the gym. I mean, <laughs> I can, what do you mean? I can never watch TV at the gym. I used to try to watch Bravo at the gym and I could never do it. I get so distracted. Bravo is was made for the gym. It's know, made for a I treadmill thought. at like three incline or whatever. No, I could not. I have to listen to like techno really loud. Techno? <laughs> yeah, when I'm working out. <laughs> Are there certain accounts or anything that you go and follow to kind of unwind or chill out? Good question. Um, I just go on my other accounts. Like I have certain Instagram accounts where I only follow like soothing content or like um, accounts that post those videos. I have a account that I used to post like slime videos on that I I use it to just follow like all those like ASMR video pages. Oh yeah, I love yeah, I love going on those. And I'm really into birds. I love birds, and I also have like a a meme page that's bird related, and I use that account to like follow all the little famous pet birds on the internet. And I love those. There's this bird, Nacho, and he's a cockatiel. He's Nacho Teal, the cockatiel. Um, I was watching, I think he has like YouTube videos. Him or Max the Malukin, which is another um, bird that I watched a lot of videos of. I just like bird videos. Bird videos. <laughs> They're very relaxing. Birds are so cute. Yeah, I mean, there's... There's an ornithology love on there. Didn't expect to to come across that. Uh, that do you have like? But these are bird watches that you do through your not like bird watching. Yeah, like I just like like watching animal. Like you know how some people watch like cute puppy or cat videos. Like I like birds. Um, and and snakes and frogs. I follow a few. I used to have a pet frog, so I just like those like oh. animal accounts. A buddy of mine got a tamagotchi. Oh my god, they were giving again. those away at VidCon last week. Yeah. 
I, maybe that's where he got it, and he's really into it. They're too much responsibility for me. Isn't it hard? I just remember always mine would always die. Yeah, they suck. One, it there's there's no I don't know. I connect with animals emotionally, or that I can like touch them or something, you know, which I recognize is not safe or anything wild. But like, the, yeah, it's a little fucking thing bouncing around your screen, and it shits all the time. Like, there, there's but he's really into it, and he loves. It's almost like when people got into um, Farmville yes, and stuff. Yes. It's or soothing. people that play Stardew Valley still. Yeah, um, it's soothing. Yeah, I think that's, there's this level of zero risk, but, you know, video, I don't know. Everyone's doing this right now with Zelda, the new Zelda. Oh, really? No, I haven't. Switch. Yeah, it's it's a game that there's, guess there's a gajillion things to do. There's a, there's a new level of, uh, you can build things in this world. So, like, you have, like, a zombie hand that lets you build stuff. Oh, and so, like, people are, like, going and escaping. So it's, like, Minecraft, but role-playing and Final Fantasy and all these things, like, bundled up into one game. And, I like, people that I know that are, like, in their 40s and 50s are, like, taking days off of work and just sitting and playing Zelda or playing Zelda in conference rooms and they, you know, help run a high high net worth company and they're just, like, zoning out on Zelda. That's so wild. Oh, my God, I love it. I love Zelda. Yeah. It's in there. Anyway. That's awesome. Um, well, I'll just tell a little bit about my book, maybe. Um, I hope people yeah, will pre-order it. One thing I've learned is like pre-orders are the only thing that matters in publishing. Like if you're going to buy the book, just pre-order it because those are like the numbers that count towards any list or whatever. Um, really? Yeah, because like all the pre-orders that you get count towards your first day of sales. So you're never going to get that high of a number again. So you have to try and get it as high as possible because if you're ever going to be on any like list or anything, like that's the highest that you're ever going to get. Unless maybe your book goes like crazy viral, but my book is coming out this fall. Please, please, please pre-order it. Um, I It's about sort of the rise of social media and the internet, the creator economy is what people call it now, influencer industry, whatever you want to say. Um, and it's really kind of like a social history of the rise of social media. Um, I think we've had a lot of books that sort of tell these corporate narratives from a corporate perspective, but not from the user side. And so my book is really kind of a about the user side and these power users that really shape the platforms and built this whole industry. Lawrence is in it, actually. Um, he's mentioned in the Tumblr. Is he? Era, yeah, oh, man. I I interviewed so many people for this book that didn't make it in. And I honestly, I wish I could include everyone. I wrote 158,000 words and they had to, it was supposed to be between 60 and (laughs) 80,000. So I had to cut like over half the book I wrote. I I mean, I just like, there was so much internet stuff that I wanted to include, but, uh, but it's all good. I mean, it was so fun to get to chat with people. And I think as like, I think if you're like millennial or younger, the book will resonate with you because you lived through a lot of this stuff. And like, I think people that have read it are say it's like extremely nostalgic and interesting and hopefully you like it, order it, pre-order it today, please. I love, okay. I got so into menswear internet for a while, like obsessed. I like literally like took like fan pictures with Nick Wooster one time in like 2011. I, because because it was all on Tumblr and I thought it was so interesting. Yeah. And um I had interned in the menswear department at DKNY um and Donna Karen. I was a I interned for the woman who was Donna DKNY PR girl, if you remember that era. Oh yeah. Which is in my I remember book. That. And that's all in my book. And I, Lawrence's wife worked there too. Anyway, um yeah, there's a bunch of fashion stuff like that in my book. Like that era of fashion is mentioned in my book of like the internet and I don't know if you remember like Bloggergate when like the bloggers got the front row at the Dolce & Gabbana show in yes. 2008. 
There's a lot yeah, of like, like that's Tavi stuff yeah. and all that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's in my book. So I feel like fashion lovers will find it interesting and maybe see some things that they're like, oh my God, I remember that era. What was your favorite part of that era? Because you said you nerded out over men's Yeah. Hair. So I got really into men's work. I think also because like women's fashion, like being a woman you kind of know everything about women's fashion. You grew up understanding women's fashion and kind of like absorbing it. And then like menswear, I was like, wait, there's like a proper, there's like different ways that men tie their tie. Like I didn't even know that. <laughs> Four in hand. That's the way to do it. I literally just like, I remember seeing a graphic on Tumblr of different ways to tie your tie. And I was like, wait, I there's different knots. Like I thought men just tie their tie. So I don't know. I think it was just, again, like this like niche world that I just thought would be fun to like learn about. And then I started following all these people, you know, they have their own like cult figures. And I just really liked yes. that like these men were so interesting. And I love like the little feuds that people would get into too sometimes. Oh yeah. Um, Especially over like, the, you know, it's, it's super interesting. I'm sure you're familiar with Derek Guy. And yeah, of he, course. He still loves to have that like discourse over how people wear their clothes in the sense, you know, there was a guy, he wrote a, a blog called A Suitable Wardrobe and his name was Will Bulky. And he, I would say, was like cringe before cringe. Uh, dead serious. So he would post pictures of him wearing like, this is what you, you know, you brown, no brown in town, you know? And he, I remember he wrote like a scathing email to us when we were doing our like, for Run of the Mill, which was like our clothing company. Because a lot of the shots were double monks, but the the double monk shoes, the bottom one was buckled and the top one wasn't. And we, you know, we were saying like, oh, this is all about sprezzatura, which is like this purposeful dishevelment, uh -huh. you know, this, this nonchalance, this way to embody. It. And he was like, you know, he's like, you're. I remember he said, you're attracting the wrong crowd. You're, <laughs> and it's interesting in like the hierarchy of how we view things specifically around menswear, because you know, it's it's all classism. Yeah. You know, the fact that like, if I, if I have my double monks unbuckled, you know, it's like, oh, this, this guy doesn't have style. This guy's, this guy is, uh, he just follows trends, you know, cause the correct way is, et cetera. Well, did you see this video? It reminded me of, um, do you know that guy, Mark Boutillier? I love him. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love him. It's okay. I love him. He's so funny. And he always does these jokes, but he posted a video yesterday because I still follow. I'm still in the menswear. Like I still follow a lot of like new. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, he's very funny to be clear. He's very yeah. funny. And also he makes fun of this specific type of jeans that my friend Ben Collins, who is another reporter owns these, like, I, I, these are the ugliest jeans I've ever seen in my life, but they're like distressed jeans that look like they've been run over. Like there's actual tire tracks on them. I can't even describe them, but Mark. Oh, they're probably a Miri. Ah, they're so ugly. Anyway, Mark makes fun of them. Mark does, Mark wears the like Comme des Garcons like um, t-shirt with the little heart on it and then with these jeans and just like makes fun of what an ugly outfit it is. But um, anyway, yeah, he posted a video yesterday that was like, real men's style isn't this. And it was like, like he was making fun of the video, but the video, yeah, yeah it was yeah, the yeah. most classist thing I've ever seen. First of all, it was all like people of color in like sort of like streetwear. And then it was like, this is real style. And it was all these like old money TikTok videos of like, you know, just like men wearing nice button downs. And yeah, I thought it was just a good example of like all of the like class implications that people have when they talk about this stuff. Cause I was like, oh my God. Oh, absolutely. I think so. First off, like Mark's stuff is very, 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 very funny. Yeah. Like he, he definitely gets, hits the nail on the head with that stuff. But like there is the whole like 
joke of all the menswear things is always super funny to me because it's also like these different forms of history in which you see, you know, someone jumping online and they're really into this brand. And I've even recognized I'm like, oh, okay, so this guy like just got into needles or engineer garments right now. Like, okay, like he's, you know, this guy's level one or whatever. And I recognize like, my own sort of elitism that I do in this weird level to protect myself. Like, you know, but that's, it's the gatekeeping that exists in menswear is worse than the gatekeeping of indie rock. Oh, a hundred percent. I got, I felt so self-conscious because I got, um, somebody gave me, I love uncut gems. And so somebody gave me the like uncut gems online, online ceramics, like t-shirt or whatever, which uh-huh. I really loved. And I, you know, it's like a men's shirt, but I wear it all the time. And, and then I started seeing online, like memes making fun of it. It's like, Oh, you know, like when they still wear online ceramics in 2023. And <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck? Wait, is this like out? I thought this t-shirt was cool. Like I, yeah, I felt so <laughs> put on blast. I still wear it, but yeah, people, people are so judgy, but I think that's fun. like, it's fun also to be a woman in that world because you have no stake in it really. So it's just, you can appreciate the, the like the like you know amount of anger that people have over like the most niche things. Yeah, I mean it's all strong opinions loosely held. Yeah, like that's the best part of of men's wearing clothing, and it's a weird way for for you know men or whomever that gets into men's wear to express themselves in ways that they're you know ordinarily very insecure about. Yeah, like that's that's the, probably the only best thing of the internet is it made it made me feel safe to wear Rick Owens dresses, you know, and I was, you know, I'm a total white cis, you know, person, but I was like, oh, this is, I'm going to learn about myself. Yeah. They're clothes. Well, you know what was, got taken out of my book, but, um, it's kind of in there is, do you remember metrosexual in the, that term? Yes. Oh, and the whole queer (laughs) era and Carson. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, like I, I feel like, yeah, it was interesting because they had these like men that the advertising industry sort of considered early influencers, basically, that really helped pioneer that style and sort of notion, which they called everyone that like, it was like a men that just like had basic grooming skills. They were like, ah, metrosexual. And it's weird because, you know, I remember I had said, I told someone once that, yeah, I was like metrosexual in high school. And they were like, did you know that that's like a very homophobic term? And I was like, wait, what do you mean? And they were like, no, like to be metrosexual was that you were you cared about gay culture, but you weren't gay. And I was like, I don't think that that's true. I was like, I think it was, no one even had the, the, maybe in hindsight, people can look at that, but I don't even think anyone had the insight to think that this was trying to belittle or attack any form of gay culture. But it was like, we just didn't know how to have a discussion. No, and I don't think, I don't think gay culture has the monopoly on like grooming. You know, I think there's like things that people that were always sort of considered feminine and and yeah. so like that, it had sort of connotations with feminine behavior, which is of course, you know, synonymous, like can often be perceived as like gay behavior, but um, no, I feel like it was just more of like a marketing. I mean, that's why, what my book talked it, yeah. about was just like how it was able to like sort of market a lot of these new products to men. Oh my God. This is, I hope you do more menswear talks for sure, because I think your insight on this stuff is really, really, really spot on. And it's what any dork like me would talk about nonstop as I try to be more intellectual. Wait, can I, can I send you, can I tell you about one menswear deep cut also that I don't know if you saw this recently, but like, did you ever, um, it was linked in Max Reed's newsletter, but there's this old post. If you Google it right now, you have to read it. It's called All Dirt. It's a 2010 post on the hairpin by Mary H.K. Choi. And it's called All Dudes Learned How to Dress and It Sucks. And it's about how, and she's like, 
writes this long piece about how like what the men around her on the subway are wearing and how like incredible their fashion is but it's talking about 2010s fashion so oh what God, she's like lusting over is like just like what would now be M65 considered very parkas. ugly kind yeah. of or like just passe clothes it's so funny yeah shawl collar cardigans twill toggles perfect length henry plackets um club collars i had to google what that one was but oh yeah it's like a yeah that was with uh, the Patrick Ervell era stuff is that he was really, you know, he really nailed the the like club collar Oxfords and he would wear beat up 501s. Yeah, that it's such I remember a, getting into that. Yeah, stuff. it's just such a like this post is such a time capsule of that era that I feel like anyone that appreciates like Timex from J. Crew. Yeah, it was such a moment like what she describes. And especially as somebody that lived in Williamsburg at that time, like this was how like a hot guy dressed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was that was the the beginning of the like workwear aesthetic, and then it was like, no, what you got to do is wear you know a sport coat with jeans, and you gotta. And, yeah. and there was Justin Doss, who uh, he was the men's fashion director at GQ at the time, really embodied this stuff because like people were wearing fedoras and um, oh, I mean, it was like this Pete Doherty sort yes. of obsession, and yes, oh my god. Oh, right. I, so like, I, I miss that. I definitely miss that. I tried to intern at GQ, um, back in the day when I was doing my like fashion internships and stuff in college. Um, and I think it would have been so fun, like to be just like at a menswear magazine in that era. That was a golden age, I think. And one that probably GQ still would love to revisit. I mean, no shots at GQ, but like it was at the time they were just the the authority on it and all the content that they were doing. I think a lot of people still try to chase Yeah, from like the closet show with Josh Peskowitz. And this was min.style.com, but it was like Josh Peskowitz and Tyler Thorson. Oh my God. Yeah. We're doing their like in the closet show. Yes. Um. Yeah, Adam Rappaport hadn't been canceled yet, and he was like doing cool stuff, like highlighting brands that people hadn't heard about, and everyone was obsessed with Jean Tui too, pre his racist rants. I mean, it was like it's interesting this like age of innocence. It was so good. I want to. I mean, that era I would go back to of fashion, (laughs) just because. Yeah, I mean, it's still good. The funny thing is, I think for me and many people, more people are wearing the like 2010 air quote style stuff now than ever because they're they're so annoyed by logos and weird branding it's just like i the amount of people that are like i just want to get a blue sport coat and jeans yeah and maybe it's because all my friends are like hitting their 40s and like you know don't want to experiment they just want to buy a suit or they want to look like an adult whatever that is i think it's so funny that like um and i think the like menswear guy on twitter pointed this out but like all of these like super right wing like masculinity influencers are wear like the skinniest skinny jeans, which was always yeah. Like I remember the controversy over that when it was like, ooh, men wearing skinny jeans. Oh my god, what does the world come to? And now it's just like Matt Walsh is wearing these jeans that are like kind of out of style and hilariously like 2010s to me. It's funny. It you know you're so right. It's like when you know people were having jeans with stretch in them. Yeah. And you would have it like really tight and like cuffed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you can date, you know, I was just in Hilton Head Island and we were, uh, it was, we were on like a family vacation and we went out one of the nights and like this other couple, this like super, I don't know, rich couple came in and the guy's wearing like ultra tight skinny jeans and Balenciaga triple S's and all this stuff. And I was like, this dude is so off. <laughs> like, he, he's so- <laughs> Oh my God. Yep. I love it. Well, uh, I used to go to Canal Street to buy all the fake, um, 
you know, all the fake designer stuff when I was in high school. Oh my God. And yeah. when my parents were moving a couple of years ago, I found all of these bags and they are so, it's the most deranged stuff. And I kept one of them because it's so, it's a fake oh, Chanel bag in the style of a Gucci bag. Like it's in the style of the like Gucci logo bag, but it has Chanel all over. It's so funny because it's so something that somebody would know nothing about fashion and would see it and be like, oh yeah, that checks out. It's just like, what is this bag? I think in a lot of ways, like you're already seeing people like prefer something counterfeit or making their own weird Nike merch or yeah. weird Adidas stuff now. And like, that's like, what what good is a logo? We're in this like Warholian love of clothing right now to where it's like, you just appropriate whatever you want and the style is wholly you. A hundred percent. Yeah, I love it. I got to find That's the bag so and dig it back out. <laughs> you should definitely use it. I swear. Like, I think you, you would start, well, I mean, you already have started many trends, but like just being like, yes, this is not a real bag, but it, I prefer it. <laughs> yeah. Like, bring it Because what is real, right? I mean, totally. not to get all existential, but yeah. Have you read the book, um, wait, by Dana Thomas? It's called- How Luxury Lost Its Yes, Luster? yes. Yeah. I love it's that phenomenal. book. Yeah. It's extremely- Nothing good. makes you more depressed though when you realize like Bernard Arnault is basically the Antichrist. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, that dude is a bad egg. I mean, and I'm yeah. sure he's probably a loving father or whomever. So I'm not trying to, but like the business practices that that individual does just doesn't make anything fun. Yeah, it's almost like billionaires um, are terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? I don't know. No hate Maybe to, that's the, no hate to any it. good billionaires. Show yourselves, but um, yeah. You show yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> not a yeah someone tries to reclaim well not all billionaires blank 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um taylor again thank you this was awesome i'm glad i'm glad we got to do this oh yeah no thank you so much this was so fun i had such a great time thank you for having me and pre-order my book yes thank you it was it was great to chat i'll talk to you soon bye thanks so much for listening you've been listening to blamo Pre-order Taylor's book in the show notes or search extremely online wherever you buy books. Our show is produced by Blamo Media. We're edited by Amar Lal and our music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you heard, share the pie with a friend or leave us a review. Um, yeah. Or if you want to hear more episodes, check this out. You can dig through our archive or sign up and join us on Patreon, where we have even more episodes, exclusive shows, and our amazing Slack community. It's patreon.com forward slash Blamo. Check it out. All right, folks, thanks again. We'll see you soon.